Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast. I am really excited today as I have Mr. Jack Beck on the show. And Jack Beck is the founder and executive director of Turnout Nonprofit. And what he is going to talk about today is so good. So I know a lot of you guys out there that listen, your nonprofits might be startup, you might be a little young, your, your budget might fall under the, you know, 200,000 to 500,000 annual operating um, budget. So if, you know, that's really you, um, you really want to tune in today because Jack's going to come at it from a real grassroots approach on, first off, getting his first government grant ever, um, which I actually reviewed the grant for him before he submitted. um, So that was a lot of fun to see them, to be a part of that legacy for their nonprofit as well as how he doesn't just look at grant funding to run his nonprofit, right? So he's going to be talking about individual donors. He's going to be talking about services. All right, so services is going to be a big thing. And I know a lot of you might think, well, we're not really sure how to bring in different types of funding. This is a great podcast episode because he is going to talk about that specifically. So you're definitely going to want to tune in today to get some great ideas. And think about this. Your nonprofit doesn't have any multi-million dollar per year to do this. This is where he started um, to actually get revenue is by providing services. So another thing I'm really excited about talking about um, with Jack is that his nonprofit also serves a specific population, and that is the queer and trans sector. So I'm really excited to bring light to that as we haven't um, really brought a lot of light to that uh, sector before. And it's really great to hear how he's had to approach uh, seeking grants, right? Because there may not be a lot of grants in this space. And he's going to talk about that a little bit. And he's also going to talk about how they've been able to develop certain services for this specific population since there are gaps And that perfectly aligns with his mission statement then. So this is really great for you guys out there, especially if you're serving a marginalized population, um, to really get really great ideas on how you can best serve them. And if you're like, man, there's just not a lot of funding for our specific nonprofit, you're going to walk away with some amazing ideas to be able to implement today. So do stay tuned to this podcast episode. (laughs) And if you love it, please do leave a review. Um, That always does help other people see the podcast out there. Um, And make sure you subscribe to our podcast. All right. So before we get started today, I just want to bring a word from our sponsor, Grant Writing and Funding. And that is who we are. Uh, So we uh, do sponsor our own podcast and super excited to bring quality uh, tips and resources to you every single week. Uh, So uh, we definitely do support it. And if you want to be able to get weekly emails from us, as well as tons of other resources, please jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com and join our Grant Writing and Funding Hub Haven. You will get a ton of resources in this amazing, beautiful hub. Um, And we continually add there every single month. I add new curated resources. And we also have our trainings available there. And we also have our stress-free nook. So every month I like to put some new things in there uh, for you because I know that grant writing and the nonprofit world can get you stressed out, (laughs) but it doesn't have to, but we do have to be intentional about it. So I add that there as well. So please do jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com and join our hub haven. And as you might have caught that, yes, I did help review Jack's uh, grant for his first government grant to get awarded. That is something grant writing and funding does. Please jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com for more information. Also, for all of today's show notes, please jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 212 for all of today's show notes and also to see how to get a hold of Jack. 
All right, guys, once again, grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 212. So I'm going to go ahead and get into it today with Mr. Jack Beck of Turnout. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. And that might be the mission of the nonprofit that you are working at, or if you're a freelancer or consultant, the many missions that you work with the various nonprofits. All right, so today on the show, I have Mr. Jack Beck, and he is executive and founder of Turnout, which is an amazing nonprofit, which we're going to be talking about today. So just welcome to the show, Jack. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for inviting me. It's so nice to be here. Yeah. And we met actually um, through a mutual friend, Sean Kosowski, who's also, I'm always dropping his name because he's been on the podcast so many times. And I love the work he does at Nonprofit Fixer. And he referred you over to me because you guys were working on a grant. So we were able to, I was able to do a grant review with you and you guys got the grant. So yeah, <laughs> it was our first time we ever went after a government grant and I've worked in nonprofit my entire career. So like the specter of government grants and how big they are, how complicated they are, how hard they are to do was always kind of floating in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And um, when this opportunity came up that, you know, we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, but because of the nature of what we do, we don't fit with a lot of grant makers. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was, this was like right up our alley. So I knew we wanted to go for it. And I was like, we need someone who knows what they're doing. And we got, you know, we got connected with you and I'm so grateful we did because it's been, you know, an incredible experience with this grant that helped us expand statewide. Um, It made a huge impact on our work. That's amazing. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to talk about it too. I was was like, yay, when you got it. So it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I just love the work that you guys are doing. So I wanted, I was like, come on, can you come on the show? Because I love the work that you're doing. And I also like the way, like you said, this was your first government grant. So how you have actually diversified your funding portfolio to support your nonprofit. And you've been there since the beginning, obviously. So there's so much value for you listeners and, and viewers if you're watching the YouTube channel. Um, can really get from Jack and his organization, especially if you're in a niche organization or maybe a marginalized nonprofit. Um, There's a lot of benefit that I think that you are going to share today with the folks who are out there. So thank you once again for coming on to the show. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely, my pleasure. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. And just a little bit about you, Jack. So you began working with community-based HIV organizations over the last 15 years, and you've you've had the privilege of working with grassroots queer groups all over the world. So you were actually able to, in 2015, found Turnout Organization, the nonprofit, which now supports more than 5,000 volunteers working with over 150 LGBTQ plus nonprofits statewide across California. So that is just a huge, huge thing that you're doing and just the impact that you have had using your imagination and your passion and your skills to really help others. So I just applaud your efforts and I can't wait to hear more about it. So I'm like, oh, it's like, I'm listening today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Let's do it. Yeah. So can you just share, like, you know, you were working in these different organizations, but then you started Turnout in 2015. So kind of like, what's your story behind starting it? And, and kind of give us some background, if you would. That would be awesome. Yeah, totally. I mean, I got into queer and trans work because, you know, I was a queer kid growing up and, you know, like many teenagers do, I ran into some like pretty scary experiences that I didn't know how to handle and they were like queer specific experiences. And so I didn't feel like I could talk about them. And, you know, I couldn't talk to my parents. I couldn't talk to my teachers. I couldn't talk to my friends. I wasn't out of the closet. Um, and it ended up being a nonprofit created by queer people for queer people that like knew exactly what I was going through. They were able to help me in exactly the way I needed. Um, and it really made a huge difference for my life. Um, so when I graduated from college, I decided that's what I want to do. Like, I want to work for the organizations that helped me when I was young and really needed help. So I started working in HIV, um, that, you know, this was, uh, the early, I guess this was the mid 2000s. Um, and you know, I had grown up where HIV was really, I apologize for the noise. If you can hear it, the construction. Yeah, we can hardly hear it. (laughs) Yeah, a little atmosphere. It's nice. 
um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up, you know, bef like before, you know, when I grew up as a young queer person, my understanding of what it was to be a gay man was to be vulnerable to HIV. And like to, like that was how I understood my future was like, I was gonna grow up and get HIV and die. Cause that's what I saw in the nineties before there was any medicine, you know, and, and any real political support for the response to HIV. Um, and it was really grassroots queer organizations that have led that fight. And I wanted to be a part of that. Um, so I started working at AIDS Project Los Angeles. I worked there for a number of years. Um, and then I moved to an international organization where we worked with grassroots queer and trans organizations in mainly low and middle income countries. So the, the, for your listeners who know how hard it is to get funding for a project that you know your community needs. I mean, imagine a queer and trans organization in Zimbabwe or in Morocco or in, you know, in really, really challenging environments where like not only can you not find people who want to donate to you locally, the, the government's not going to donate to you. There's not like local foundations who want to donate to you. People are actively like ransacking your offices and, you know, you're getting raided by the police, you're getting arrested. So, you know, these are organizations that are providing the only support to their communities. Um, and the environment was so, so challenging. Mm -hmm. um, and the funding is really, really rough. So a lot of people don't realize, and this is true in the United States too, for every 100 foundation dollars in the United States, only 25 cents goes to LGBTQ causes. Wow. Um, so the funding base is very small. Um, That's a really small. I didn't, I didn't and, know that statistic. That's very slim. It is really small. And you might think that that gets made up for by a bunch of queer and trans adults, like donating to queer and trans nonprofits, but only 3% of queer and trans adults have ever donated to a queer and trans nonprofit, which... Wow. Is very low, and you know I feel conflicted about citing that because it, it makes us sound like bad people. But it's not because people don't care. If you and you, I'm sure you've seen this uh, this statistic that the number one reason why people don't donate to a nonprofit is because they've never been asked. Yes. You know that's, and that's absolutely the case for queer and trans organizations. Many of our organizations are so small um, that they don't have like a development staff person. Some of them don't even have paid staff at all. Yes. So their ability to get out into the community, ask people for donations, raise funding is really limited. So that's, that's what I think is going on with that figure. But anyway, that's all a long lead up to say, you know, I was working with these organizations that really needed support and it was, really hard to find support. It was hard to find volunteers when we needed them. And then I would be out, you know, with my friends, we'd be out in queer spaces and people would be like, oh, you work for a queer nonprofit? Like, I want to get involved. How can I volunteer? And, you know, I would have needed someone a month before and I didn't need someone now. And I knew someone else probably needed them, but, um, you know, I didn't know who they were. So I started thinking about what it would look like to have a community of people who were passionate about these issues that we could, you know, when a queer trans nonprofit needed something, we could be like, boom, just reach out to that network, refer them over immediately. Um, and, you know, I talked to a lot of people in the community to see if it was something that they thought was a good idea. People did. And in 2015, I left my job to start Turnout. I love that. I love that you're like the liaison of connecting everybody together, you know, like, so, and that's such a need and you're right. I love that you said, you know, it's not, and a lot of people say, oh, people aren't giving and they just don't support our organizations. No, that's not it at all. They probably don't even know about your organization. Exactly. So it is like, but how do you get the word out? And, and then of, yeah, that fundraiser you did last month. Yeah, I needed a hundred people. I don't need anyone now. And how do I manage that? Because managing volunteers is a whole thing, right? So having someone do that and start a nonprofit specifically for that, that uh, collaboration piece, huge. I imagine that was such a gift right away to so many nonprofits in your area. Yeah, I mean, it's really lovely to get to work at this intersection where we get to work with like the people on the front lines of this, uh, in these community efforts that are so important. And it just self-selects to be a really phenomenal group of people, which I'm sure every one of your listeners is too, you know, people who want to get involved with their communities, make a difference, be active in creating the kind of world we want for ourselves. Like that's exciting. That's exciting energy to be around. 
It is. It is. The change makers is what we call it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Yeah. <laughs> so it is. It's such a, yeah, it's such a positive. So you open turnout and then you're like, okay, this nonprofit. So the nonprofit is there specifically, is it to help with the networking of the volunteer organization? Can you kind of talk about, you know, the mission of turnout and Sure. So our mission is mobilizing communities to power queer and trans movements. Um, it started really as doing a lot of volunteer recruitment and mobilizing, but over time we found that there were additional needs um, that uh, I'm just going to close this. Um, yeah, so we found that, um, you know, one thing that we found, for example, was that uh, a lot of the nonprofits we were talking to were like, yes, we need volunteers, but we really need board members. Like, we are having a really hard time finding board members. Can, like, is there anyone in your network who is interested in board service? Um, and we found that there were a lot of people in our network who were interested in board service. So we started doing a queer and trans board match where we're connecting, you know, a bunch of queer and trans nonprofits looking for new board members with people who are interested. And we realized that that's only half of the equation. You know, people are joining boards and they're not getting any support. They're not getting any training on how to do what they need to do. Um, and we even did, you know, some informal research on, you know, how many nonprofits in our network actually, you know, their board members actually know what they're supposed to be doing. And 75% said they were only sort of sure or were not, didn't know at all what they were supposed to be doing. Wow. Which is yeah. very high. <laughs> and it's common, I'm telling you. Board so training common. is essential. We get all excited and passionate and I wanna serve. And then if the board doesn't have the roles and responsibilities laid out, if there's not an onboarding kind of contract, you know, all of those things, then it's kind of like, are you just a person that shows up? Can you miss a meeting? You don't know all those things. So totally. you know, your heart's there. It's not you're trying to be nefarious, but it's like, you know, it kind of comes off and then it's just the nonprofit kind of falls, right? So, so yeah. important. I love that you pointed that out, the board training. So you guys do the board training as well as the connection piece. Yeah, we piloted an accelerator. We're calling it the Queer and Trans Nonprofit Board Accelerator, which we'll probably abbreviate because that's very long. Um, but I mean, basically what it is, is a, it's a like a, it, the pilot was a three month program that was all about building the skills you need to be a really high impact board member. And I think what we're gonna do is turn it into a year long subscription program next year so. If your nonprofit signs up, your board members can go, you know, as many board members as you want to a monthly training on like, how do you fundraise, you know, like, what are some skills that you like for making a pitch or doing an ask or throwing it, you know, like how to even reframe fundraising into something that is not terrifying to people. Mm -hmm. You know, people are, are really, it really freaks people out to be in a position to ask people for money. I think our culture around money isn't, isn't, um, it doesn't foster open conversations. There's a lot of shame around money. Um, and so people often have uh, kind of an adverse reaction to being asked to raise money, but it doesn't have to be that way. You know, you're really inviting someone to be a part of creating the kind of change that you want to see in the world. And that's something that people want, want to be a part of, you know by giving a donation. So that's one thing that we do, you know, how to read a financial sheet is something that like board members really do need to know how to do. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. You know, that's something that isn't in a lot of people's skill set, which is totally understandable. Yeah, they just all kind of nod when the financial, we're <laughs> going over the financial report. This looks fine. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> like you do know that you're responsible for that as a board member <laughs> completely like yeah you, the buck stops with you you know and like so what questions do you need to ask to make sure you're doing your due diligence as a board member you know all sorts of stuff so we're really excited about launching that program this year I love that. And I love that you're turning it into a membership where you have monthly webinars. Um, I'm doing a lot more turning things more towards that way as well. And I think that's so good because 
having, you know, courses is great, but having that monthly just kind of like check in too. And then, you know, people can keep this a little more doable. Okay. Every month I'm going to show up to this thing and process through one, one specific element. So I love that you're looking at financials, fundraising, and even the shame around money. I mean, I think there could be a whole webinar just on that, you know, like, cause there is, there's a, a lot of shame around money and, and that asking for money. You're right. So many people are uncomfortable with it. And, but the thing is, like you said, people aren't offended to be asked totally. like on the flip side. So it's like, what are we, it's an emotional thing. It's not really even logical. Right. But yeah, it's, yeah, it doesn't reflect the reality of the situation, which is great, you know, cause, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's not as scary as people think it is. And it can actually be exciting and like life affirming and, you know, it can be good. Yes, <laughs> so, I love that. So then you guys are also um, working through different uh, volunteer, expanding volunteers as well. And I love that you're in your niche area, like even for your um, board training, you're doing it for your specific target population, right? So you're doing it for the queer, the LGBTQ plus population and really focusing on specific maybe challenges for um, that demographic, right? So how how do you guys kind of like integrate that part into it? It's a really good question and it's something we think about a lot. Um, I mean, one reason why it's um, important to do it that way is one of the things we do in the accelerator is look at the funding sources for queer and trans work. You know, that landscape is, it's a niche landscape. It's very specific. And even within that, you know, there are organizations like um, Funders for LGBTQ Issues, which does a, you know, a semi-regular report on like what is getting funded, you know, which parts of our communities are getting funded, what type of work is getting funded, and, you know, what are the trends moving in, you know, what direction, like, last year, there was a big, or I guess over the past couple years, there's been an increase in funding for trans work, which is great, Mm -hmm. but there's also been a decrease in funding for international work, Um, so, depending on what you're focused on, it's important to have a sense of, like, what is the landscape, um, and that is that is issue specific, I think. Um, and then there's other stuff that you know. This is something that we've been looking at lately. Is when we do our volunteer trainings, we include sexual harassment training. You know, that's imp- important um, to include as part of that. And we have realized that like standard sexual harassment programs do not include stuff that is important for our communities. Like there's a thing that happens in queer spaces sometimes where people are like, oh, you know, sexual liberation has been part of our history and identity and that's really important and that means I can like do whatever I wanna do. That is not true. (laughs) Uh, But like, I think if it doesn't get addressed specifically, then people end up crossing boundaries that they didn't realize were there or they have, you know, different kinds of expectations about like, oh, I'm, you know, a gay man. So it's okay if I like comment on a woman's body because I don't want to sleep with her or whatever. It's like, no, it's not okay. You know, that people don't like that. (laughs) Like, you know, unless it's invited, which, you know, that's different. But um, so we're finding that there really is uh, a, an opportunity to provide some really tailored specific services for support for queer and trans nonprofits um, that, you know, it really does make sense to, to do these kinds of tailored things. On the flip side, you know, the board stuff, we have had a number of nonprofits who are not queer and trans specific come to us and ask to be involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, one of the things we do is we do a, a board service 101 training for our corporate partners. You know, a lot of corporations are interested in incentivizing board service among their employees. They feel like it builds leadership, you know, skills, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, ha- we do have versions of those things that are not queer and trans specific because a lot of the information is the same. Um, And, uh, you know, we, we believe in intersectionality. We believe in, you know, uh, the importance of, um, you know, working together with groups that are, are not specifically queer and trans identified. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we think about that a lot and uh, it's an ongoing conversation at our organization. I love that. Do you also get um, boards coming to you maybe even to ask for some of that who may not have a queer organization, but they understand that there may be, you know what I mean? Or they don't want to exclude those people. So they Mm -hmm. want to build up that diversity and inclusion section, you know, and and kind of promote it more. 
Yeah, we have had some of that, but not very much, which is interesting. Probably because, I mean, we are still kind of a relatively new organization and people even in our own community are like, who are you again? You know. So I think we people outside of our community probably just haven't encountered us at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but occasionally we do get that. Um, and you know, we've got like this organization called Knitting for Peace, which is based in the middle of the country. They are not queer and trans specific, but they do cool stuff. You know, um, they participated in our queer board match because they wanted to connect with just any board members, you know, <laughs> and uh, that that was fine. Like, we, you know, if you want some support, we'll, we'll support you. We believe in community work in general, broadly. I love that. And it's needed. That's really, really highly needed. So that's a great, great thing that you're doing. So let's let's talk about the grant now. <laughs> the program. And just to talk about that, because too, like how it's affected your organization and, and you know, maybe from their perspective too, as like you said, your first government grant, How did that impact and change your organization maybe with different types of funding coming in, um, you know, and then the growth of that, you know, in a a program growth when you went from one program to another with a grant coming in, because sometimes that can be overwhelming for nonprofits. So if you could kind of talk about that perspective as well, I think it'd be really helpful for people who may be beginning those first bigger grants to say. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, our biggest grant, we are a a small budget organization like we our budget last year was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars so we're very small Mm -hmm. um the grant we got i think our biggest grant that we had gotten up to that point was a fifteen thousand dollar emergency grant during covid and before that the biggest grant we got was 10k Mm -hmm. Um, and we only got like one of those so we did not have a lot of grants um and this grant was for one hundred and thirty four thousand dollars So it was a really big change for us um, and we were very excited about it. But the minute we got it, it was like off to the races. And one of the challenging things, so we're based in California and California has this wild policy where if you're getting state money, they will not give it to you up front. They reimburse your expenses. Right. So you have to front the money yourself mm-hmm. and then wait, you send them a an accounting for what you spent and they reimburse you, which can take up to three months. So for That's an organization- cash flow, you have to float. Yeah. Major, yeah. major cash flow issue. So you know, we looked into like loans for that, which the interest rates were insane. Like it was so crazy because we're small. So we don't have a ton of money in our bank at any given time, you know, and that is what our bank looks at when they're deciding whether or not they can like loan us money. They look at what the balance is and like our balance is fine for what we do, but for floating three months of a 134 thousand dollar grant that is over a 12 month period they were like no <laughs> you know Even with the contract um, i'm kind of surprised some banks i know here's our contract it's from the state we're gonna get I paid <laughs> i thought so too i mean i was like yeah this is literally a guaranteed reimbursement and they were like that's not collateral so wow. Yeah, so that was really stressful. We were very lucky to have a board member who was like, I can give you a zero interest loan. Um, oh, that's amazing. So that was yeah. that was step two. So step one was going to the bank, trying to work something out that fell through. So then board member came up for. Well, actually, step two was going to private lenders oh, outside. There you go. Yep. <laughs> like Wendio and, you know, I forget who I still get emails from them I'm on their like predatory lending list (laughs) but you know they they were asking for like crazy interest rates that would have just been it wouldn't have made financial sense for us to do that like it would have been so expensive um and then I talked to you know our board member who was like I'll just flow you the money so which is amazing another reason to have good board training (laughs) completely and I mean and like it's it's kind of when I look back at it it makes my like it gives me goosebumps a little bit because like the fact that we even had a board member that could float that amount of money like that's crazy like I don't think there are a lot of small organizations that that have that and I would never have guessed that he would have been able to do that either so um, we were very very lucky and we're actually in the process of um advocating with this funder to um either increase the 
processing time of reimbursements or um, offer like a no interest loan of like a certain, like that would equate three months of whatever upfront to organizations. Because otherwise small organizations aren't gonna be able to, they're gonna be locked out, you know? You, there's no way you can make cash flow work like that. Yeah, and you get so excited. You're like, we wrote the grant, we got it awarded and now there's this. Right. So it's like, wow, now we have to go through and try to figure out how we're going to float money. And that's yeah. something that a lot of nonprofits might not even think about. Right. So it is a challenging, very challenging thing. Another idea could be too, where if you have corporate sponsors to reach out to corporate sponsors and say, hey, can you give us the monies up front? This is how it all works out. And a lot of times if they're going to sponsor you anyways, you know what I mean? In, in, yeah. in advance, but it is, it is, I know um, another lady, I know a nonprofit, she, her credit card actually gave her no interest on it. She was able ah! to talk her credit card. Oh, Oh my so, god. Yeah, I mean there I was like they're an amazing like keep that credit card always. <laughs> yeah. I know seriously like I want to know who her credit card is so we can sign up. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing, right? So and it was just like here's our contract like we will get paid. And the other things too and I don't know if California does this. It doesn't sound like they do. The federal government does this where if they don't pay you within a certain time frame, you can start charging interest to the federal government for being late yeah I love that so they do their work to pay you yeah so it's like and it's like even talking to legislators and those in in California or if you guys are listening out there in your state that would be something you could really lobby for to try to get included right um as a resolution that there for procurement that once it's you know the state has to start paying interest <laughs> So that could be, a, and then that's going to speed up that process, right? Because it's not beneficial. It's not beneficial to nonprofits, which then contribute back to the economy, provide jobs, et cetera, right? So it's a good thing overall for the economy. So I'm sorry you had to go through that, but thank you for sharing the process and how you resolved it. Oh, totally. I mean, mm -hmm. it's something that we didn't know was going to happen. And then it was just, we got blindsided by it. So, you know, for I'm happy to tell as many people as I can so that they're not in the same position. Um, yes. But we got Who really lucky. your board member? That's amazing that he stepped up for that uh, or she <laughs> stepped up for that. And then, you know, we're able to provide that. So that's another way to say too, make sure you're providing a diverse board of directors, you know, yeah. so those things come up they can help out, you know, not maybe them specifically, but they might have a network where they could do a fundraiser real quick or whatever, right? Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So then the grant, so the grant now is supporting um, volunteers. So you connect to now a statewide um, like volunteer base, right? Can you kind of explain the process of that? Yeah, so we launched in the Bay Area in California and, um, you know, we've been building up our programs here. And when we submitted that grant, I think we had maybe 4,000 volunteers in the Bay Area. And we were working with about 100 partners and we were like, hey, we wanna bring this to Southern California. That's what this grant will do for us. Mm -hmm. um, so when we got the grant, we hired um, two new staff people in Southern California um, and they're phenomenal. Um, shout out to Rowan Hebskini and Brie Gignard for being amazing people. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just, I'm so grateful to work with them every day. Um, so they've been out kind of building turnout the way we built it in the Bay Area, you know, going out to queer and trans events, you know, meeting people, you know, just being out in the community where queer and trans people are, recruiting folks into our network and then building relationships with um, local nonprofits so we can support their volunteer needs. Oh, I love that. I love that. And just getting more people able, you know, out there. And just like when going back to your story, like, to help too, right? I mean, it's like to say, hey, um, there is a place for you. There is a voice. There, are, there is support that you might not be able to find at home or in other places. And, and you know, I just love that your nonprofit does that. It's very specific to their target population um, to really help. So um, as far as looking at that too, what are other ways, you know, you said you're kind of started talking about turnout as 
you know, a smaller, I mean, it's still 250,000 per year. That's, you know, be, be, be happy to applaud yourself. That's good. And oh, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> like the fact that I get paid, I didn't get paid at all for the first three years. I was driving for Uber, like doing all sorts of odd jobs. So like the fact that I get paid at all is amazing. We have health insurance. We have like, we're getting a retirement plan right now. Nice. So yeah. That's amazing. Um, so yeah, so how do you kind of look at your funding portfolio to say, okay, this is what this grant's coming in. Obviously, you've gotten monies from other places as well, right, besides just grants. So how do you kind of manage that and diversify it? And then what are your plans as you grow then? Like... Yeah, I mean, I had all these ideas about where we were going to get money when I first started Turnout. Like, I thought a big source of money for us was going to be corporate groups because mm. so many corporations have LGBT employee groups and corporate social responsibility programs. And I was like, oh, they're going to, like, they could pay us to help them do group volunteering at queer and trans nonprofits with all of their corporate money. You know, of course, later I found out that, like, LGBT employee groups have very, very limited budgets. And, you know, some of them don't have budgets at all. A lot of that goes to pride, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's, uh, that didn't end up being the source of income I thought it was gonna be. Mm -hmm. And what really made the difference for us was I was um, out at Castro Street Fair, which is a, you know, a big street fair that we have up here. And we were running a volunteer recruitment event. And we had sent some volunteers. We've been running our programs. I think this is, was in 2018. Maybe this is 2017. Mm -hmm. um, we've been running our programs for a couple of years. We had sent volunteers to Oakland Pride a couple of times. And I ran into the one of the board members, um, Frankie. And Frankie's like, hey, um, I know you recruit volunteers. You also manage volunteers. We'll pay you. And I was like, why, yes, we do, Frankie. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we do provide that service. And like, it had never occurred to me to do that. But, you know, these big street fairs have a ton of volunteers that they need. And they usually will hire a seasonal worker to manage volunteers, it's usually someone else, like just out of college or whatever. Um, and often they have a budget to do that. Um, so we started connecting with our partners who do big events and telling them that we provide the service. And now we manage volunteers as a paid partner for Oakland Pride, San Francisco Pride, uh, Folsom Street Fair, like a ton of different organizations. And that's a third of our revenue is wow. paid contracts. Yeah, so the, sorry. That's amazing. And just to find like a niche and someone coming to you, you know, that's kind of how you find out things. <laughs> come to you and you say oh yeah yeah we do that and I love that you're doing it as a service so a lot of nonprofits they don't do services they don't do products and I'm like that is a huge part that could be a huge part of your portfolio that you yeah. don't have to rely on grants and then that's unrestricted funding as well a lot of times right mm -hmm. so yeah yeah I mean, up until uh we got this grant from the state all of our funding was unrestricted wow yeah, it's great. And it's like the side effect of being rejected by a million grant organizations. But, you know, like, uh, it, you know, we managed to find a model that works. So a third of our money comes from those, those things. And be, it's still within our mission statement. We're still recruiting, coordinating volunteers for queer and trans causes. So there's no mission drift with that, which is great. Um, we also, you know, for the queer board match program, we found that corporate sponsors were interested in sponsoring that. So we bring in some revenue from corporate sponsors for that and for doing like paid, um, you know, doing our board service 101 presentation and training for corporations like they pay us for that, which is great. Um, we get a third of our funding from donors and that I will tell you we have not been good at developing our donor base. Mm -hmm. Like that is something that I'm really focused on this year. Um, nice. But what donors have looked like is, you know, our board donates. We've had a couple of um, like major donors at the like $5,000 level who were people that like were in the community and, um, and knew some, usually they knew me and they were like, oh, I wanna support your organization. And I think that's one of the benefits of being a founder is people like will be like, oh, I wanna support what you're doing. And that's, that's really nice. But I will tell you that was only like the 
first year or two. And then like my own personal network for that stuff, I think, you know, was exhausted. Um, so we, we only had like two people that did that, but, um, you know, it shows that you really have to develop your donor base. So like crowdfunding stuff, um, you know, giving Tuesday, give out day, which is like a giving Tuesday for LGBTQ causes, um, uh, stuff like that brings in the, uh, like a second third. And then this grant we have from, um, the state is the other third. So. That's, okay, so that's good. And I love that you pointed out like the lowest hanging fruit when you're getting started is word of mouth. It's people who know you, it's, you know, it's developing that, but then it could get tapped out. Like you're saying, if they're not completely, they want to support you, but finding yes. the donors that are just completely excited about your mission is kind of a different story, right? It's a little bit of a different story. Um, I mean, your friends, yeah, they could definitely support what you're doing, but that might not be their number one passion. So it's finding people who that's their number one passion. And that does take time to develop, right? And intention. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think if people are supporting their friends, like they probably want to support, like get them off, you know, on their feed and whatever. But I mean, they don't want to be like, you know, doing that the rest of your life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The people who care about your mission will be more consistent donors, I think. Absolutely. So I love that you're looking at these different ways and, and how surprising it was for you to kind of like, oh, it's just gonna be corporates. And then, oh, that, that's not really (laughs) happening. So, but then to be able to look at these different areas and as far as grants, then where, where do you see them as far part of your funding portfolio, especially like once this grant ends, you know, will you apply for it again? Or is there different ways? It's a great question. We're definitely like, I aggressively am going after grants all the time, but I consistently run up against um, funders that like don't understand what we do or why it's important, or they are prioritizing like advocacy or direct services, which are not the things we do. We are like building an infrastructure that supports the organizations that do that. And I think that's a little bit too far removed from a lot of foundations that like they want to be like on the front line making an impact um and being like almost like a b2b model i think is mm-hmm. less compelling to a lot of foundations um so the way that i'm thinking about grant funding right now and this this grant we got from the state has been really it's really informed my thinking on this when we got this grant from the state i knew we would have it for a year and i know that grants you never know if you're going to get them again mm-hmm. so my goal was to build up our other sustainable revenue sources over the next year. You know, now that we're in Southern California, like get some event contracts in Southern California, build relationships with nonprofits who will pay for, you know, consulting services or whatever, build relationships with corporate groups who will be sponsors um, to get enough money together to continue running that program if that grant dropped through and we didn't get it again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that is, um, I think it's working as a strategy for us. Mm -hmm. We have been able to build relationships down in Southern California. We have um, some really exciting new contracts that we're um, gonna be working on this summer that we are thrilled about. Um, So, and you know, another thing about paid services is I, and maybe this is just from me being in the nonprofit sector for a long time, and like being in a scarcity mindset, I was like undercharging for our services. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I learned kind of through trial and error um, and through like, you know, little pieces of information that were dropped in conversations. I was like, oh shit, like I'm, excuse my language. Uh, (laughs) Um, Like, we we are undercharging Mm -hmm. Um, and we could be, you know, bring in more money for our services. And I'm really glad to see that, you know, as we pitched people at a higher rate that they have contracted with us, you know, they've continued to contract with us. Um, So that is, uh, you know, I know a lot of us in nonprofit are used to operating in scarcity. So, you know, you can always negotiate down, uh, but like- Going up is a little harder. It's a lot harder. Yeah, totally. So, and, you know, we have had experiences where we pitch people high and they're like, no. Yeah. And then we're like, uh, well, 
you know, we could do like a fraction of the services for a lower cost and they're, they're still like, no, and it's like, oh, that really sucks when, you know, they're like not even open to a negotiation, but um, you know, that's the, like the minority, I think. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, that minority that you're talking about then is they might not have been a good fit. Well, they're clearly not a good fit then too. Yeah. So sometimes that'll vet out those. If you, you're like, you give deep discounts and stuff. Those might be your highest maintenance clients as well. They might not be a good fit at all. So, totally. you know, just making a sale isn't really good. Sometimes making a good sale is you know, where you're going to find better relationships. So completely like finding a qualified lead, you know, yeah. instead of any, just any lead. And it's something that really makes a difference for us because when we are running volunteers for something like SF Pride, that takes a huge amount of our staff bandwidth. Yeah. So if we're not charging enough for that, we're basically losing money. Yes. Uh, um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's not what we're, that doesn't support our, our mission or our programs. You know, if we're, if we're making, if we're signing contracts that are like net negative on our bottom line, that doesn't make sense. You know, I, I love that you talked about that, that both um, how you approach this grant. I don't think a lot of people do. And I love that you're looking at it because basically that's what I would call a sustainability plan, right? Yeah. Like what you did. And a lot of people just think, oh, we'll just build it and then we'll get more money. And, you know, eventually, but they don't have a plan of how to do that. Or they just think, oh, I'll just apply for the grant again and I'll definitely get it. And, and that might not be the case. Those fundings might be, you know, redirected, et cetera. Yeah, totally. So it's, you know, for you to come in and say, we're going to set up these networks. We're setting up the sustainability funding program to keep running the program was really smart. And the other thing, I love what you talked about, scarcity mindset and actually really analyzing your cost for services. So if you do provide services, that's what I was going to ask you too, is another way of raising more money, money just raising yeah. your prices. <laughs> you know? yeah. That's a part of it too. Mm -hmm. Totally. I was talking with our... Um accountant who you know we are very lucky to have like an accounting firm basically be like doing our books for free and they're like yeah so you're raising all your prices this year right and I was like wait what and they were like just like hand on forehead like <laughs> you have to raise your prices every year I was like really <laughs> like I've never worked in business I don't know how things work like that you know so that was an interesting like lesson and you know I don't know if we'll be raising prices every year but I'm really happy we're raising them this year because it's helping to support our expansion of our programs and our impact yeah um you know so for our extended I think really when I think about grants now mm -hmm. I really think we probably will be focusing on mainly using them for expansion so mm -hmm. looking at like the Gill Foundation for example like they focus uh, mainly on Colorado. So if we applied for a grant for Colorado, it would probably be to like hire frontline staff, build our network there, and then work to backfill the kind of sustainable revenue we would need over a year, year and a half, two years. And then we wouldn't need that grant funding anymore. And, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the prime primary way that we'll be looking at grants. Um, and then, you know, while we're trying to continue to build up our donor base, continuing to build up our um, contracts and our, our corporate partnerships um, and our, you know, we have these new, we're actually just hiring a new staff person to lead our revenue generating. Oh, um, nice. So queer board match, queer board accelerator, um, corporate engagement, and then we're hiring them half-time and my hope is that next year we'll be able to bring them on full-time as a development person because oh, nice. I'm the only person on our staff that does any fundraising yeah and I, I also have to like <laughs> oversee <laughs> like do all the admin and you know we're a very small organization and um, we just need more fundraising power so yeah um, no I, I love that and you know and you hit the nail on the head right there by talking about grants what they really are used for. And I always say the same thing. It's either startup money for something. So think of it like just seed investment or it's expanding your program. So it shouldn't be like your regular operating, you know, budget, like every year to depend on this amount because it's really about funding a certain program at just for a specific amount of time. So if you are going to start that program, don't think about only getting funded from the grant like you did, but how do we support it afterwards um, after the startup money is 
gone? How do we keep it going? So I, and that's exactly what grants so I, are used for. So I love that you're looking at this to say, that's just a, a portion of our portfolio for specific things. And then we're gonna, but our main purpose though is expanding like donors. So think of it, if you lost one grant, you could lose $300,000. Wow. But you could have 300 donors every month giving X amount. You're not going to lose 300 donors in one month. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you think really about these different streams and how they're used and how fragile they are um, and how much impact they have, then it's easier to really know where to spend your time, right? To build up the different portfolios too. Yeah, I remember I was talking with um, someone who started a nonprofit who got a $300,000 grant from Unilever right out of the gate. And she built it, hired all the staff, and, and then she couldn't back. She, I mean, how, like, it's really hard to, like, raise $300,000 from, like, a bunch of other smaller revenue streams. And she had to lay off a bunch of people because the grant wasn't renewed. And it's mm -hmm. like, what a nightmare, you know? Like, that's so tragic. It is. Um, it yeah. is. So I love the way you're approaching it as it should be. <laughs> so the grants, because it can be really, people like, free money, I can do that. It's like, wait, 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 wait. How do we look at that? Totally. And, you know, I think it was one of the benefits of being in the nonprofit space for a long time. Like I worked at another, basically a startup nonprofit and saw how unreliable grants were, how much time it took to write them. And I just did not want a grant dependent development strategy, period. Like I didn't think it was going to be healthy. I didn't, you know, it's just not stable. I guess that's where scarcity mindset uh, is helpful. <laughs> so I'm like, this could evaporate at any second. We need something that, you know, some, we need some diversity in our revenue streams. So yes, it's kind of like that. It's like supplemental income. You know what I mean? To look at it. So when yes, it's absolutely. great, um, it can provide great benefit, but it shouldn't be the entire basis of your budget. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, so many gold mines here today that you shared with us. Um, so thank you again for your time, Jack. And um, I really appreciate um, everything you're contributing to the queer and trans space out there. Um, I know it's just, look at, you're helping thousands of people, which is impacting hundreds of thousands of people. So great work. Congratulations again on the grant, even though we kind of were grant bashing a little bit. Not really. We're just putting it in realistic terms today. Yeah, but, totally. um, absolutely. It's real <laughs> talk here. So um, but yeah. And thank you for sharing what you guys do and being so honest about like the way you, different funding comes in and what you guys are doing. I know that's going to help give a lot of people ideas and be like, oh, we could do, we could do services. Oh, we can actually make some money that way. We can raise our yeah. Like It's going to help a lot of people. So thank you for your in input. And um, people, can you tell people where they can find you? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you can find us. Our website is www.turnout.org, T-U-R-N. And I'm like, do I know how to spell our own organization? <laughs> T-U-R-N-O-U-T.org. Um, and we're on Instagram and um I think, and Facebook, and you can find links to both of those on our website as well. So Great, and people out. can get involved. So if they want to hire you maybe to help um, for, to organize an event, to manage the volunteers, or if they want some board training, or if they just want to come and volunteer and get connected with a different organization um, that they can volunteer at, or maybe be a board member, you guys can help with all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just feel free to reach out. We love talking with people who are doing community work, whatever we can do to help, you know, we would love to chat with you. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being on the show and I will see you guys soon and definitely be supporting all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm so excited about this episode. Jack was just amazing in sharing all of these different ideas for funding for nonprofits around the world, really. So um, do be sure to uh, subscribe to our podcast, leave a review if you love this podcast episode. And also, you notice that we do do coaching. So if you want us to review your grant before you submit it, like we did for Jack, and he was able to get that grant awarded, we do offer that service. So jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com for more information. All right, guys, I'll see you next week.